Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that it will direct our paths. We ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would have us hear what you would have us hear for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. May you be lifted up in what transpires here. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our text today is Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, going through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Thus ends the reading of the word. <clears throat> Last week, we looked at Paul's reminder of what we, who are now believers in Jesus, were before we were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit due to the work of Christ. We were basically zombies, not the fake movie zombies but the real ones, dead in our sins and trespasses and still walking around, destined for wrath. Paul also clarified, as he does pretty much throughout all of his writings, that it was entirely because of God's grace through faith in Jesus that we are now alive, born again, no longer dead, but alive to do the good works God has designed for us, being his church, his body. The point last week was not that we were merely fixed or healed or made better. We were made new, having been born again with a new life, and it was because God loved us, and so that he could demonstrate that love and kindness to us. We concluded last week by discussing how we are not only called to remember all this, with the result that our current state as children of God, heirs eternal, loved by God, 
experiencing his blessing and riches and kindness of God, that state that it'll even be more precious to us. But we were also encouraged to take the life-giving news of Jesus to those zombies who are all around us who are still dead in their sin and trespasses. <clears throat> this week, we look at, from our text today, um, the first thing we're going to look at is Paul's clarification of the substantive change in position that has occurred because of Christ's work on our behalf. For what it's worth, this should not only create an intense sense of gratitude, it should also get out of our conscious minds and our subconscious minds, if that's possible, any notion that our salvation was somehow a right or a reasonable action by God. It was a, it was a gift, pure and simple. And this was particularly true for Gentile Christians who were Paul's dominant audience in the Ephesian church. Now, Gentiles isn't a word that is used too much, except in the scriptures and other Jewish writings. Pure and simple, a Gentile was someone who was not a Jew. In the Jewish mindset, there were, not, there were only two kinds of people on earth, not black and white, not nationalities, not good and bad. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Jews were the ones that God had chosen to make his own and were unique and special, God's people. And then there was everybody else. Gentiles were everybody else. These are the uncircumcised that Paul references. As you know, circumcision was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham associated with his promise to bless the world through Abraham. It was a sign of being a Jew, one of God's people. While it's true that there were other cultures in the ancient world that also practiced circumcision, in the eyes of the Jews, circumcision was much more than the act of removing the foreskin. Circumcision was their sign that they were unique, that they were special to God. And circumcision to them meant that, that being part of God's covenant community with all of the bells and whistles from the law to the temple to the feast to the way they dressed to who they were allowed to eat with. It was all wrapped up in this idea of circumcision and being the people of God. Circumcision was a piece of the tapestry that was made up of all the regulations, the laws, the practices associated with what was involved with being a Jew, a person of the covenant. And Gentiles did not have that mark or those practices, or that history, or even know about them. And they were removed from all of that. The net result was that the uncircumcised, the Gentile believers he was writing to, and Paul is reminding them of this, had not only, prior to be, being born again, had not only been dead in their sins, the zombies we talked about, they had been completely completely separated from the promises of God, the hope of God, the revelations of God, 
the covenants of God, such as that Paul ends verse 12 by saying they were without hope and without God in the world. That was us. We are the Gentiles. Maybe there's someone from Jewish heritage in here, but we are the Gentiles. And it was bad. Paul wanted the Gentile Christians to whom he was writing to remember this, to remember how far we were from God. Prior to Jesus and their belief in him, they had been separated from all of the revelations and blessings and promises of God, and they were absolutely without hope. And then God changed that. He changed our position from being dead and without hope and separated from all the promises and revelations of God to ones who are our situations now that we are alive and we are beneficiaries of all of that. As Paul says, we once who were far off have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. And that brings us to the second point. God has changed our situation. Not only has he brought the Gentiles, us, near, and made it so that we too can benefit from all the all God's blessings and revelations and promises and hope and covenants. He has done this by removing the hostility that existed between the Jew and the Gentile and between God and man. Hostility is a big term in this section that we just read. There was hostility between Gentiles and Jews which was beyond being different from each other, beyond the need to merely get along and tolerate each other. In many cases, this hostility was due to the action of the Jews, who simply did not regard Gentiles as worthy of much but disdain, since they were outside the covenant of God. They weren't gods. Gentiles, on the other hand, didn't favor the Jews very much either. Nor did they think that they were as special as they claimed to be. What they were was different. And in the Gentiles' eyes, arrogant. And different meant not like us, Gentiles, which meant hostility. Peter makes reference to the practical implications of this hostility in Acts 10.28. When he points out um, to Cornelius and Cornelius' very Gentile family, that Jews were not even allowed to eat or associate with Gentiles. Do you remember that story? It's actually one of my favorite ones in in the Bible. After a few visions from, from God, Peter is led to preach the gospel to a group of Gentiles, kind of in protest. This just doesn't quite sit right with him. And, and they, to his surprise, believed and were filled with the Holy Spirit And Peter's eyes were opened to God's intention that the Gentiles also receive the gospel. This wall of separation and hostility was actually one of the biggest things the new church had to get past. As we saw when Peter went back to tell the apostles, the Jewish disciples, that what had happened with these Gentiles, they had a big problem getting over that. It wasn't an easy wall. 
But there was also hostility between God and man. We, both Jew and Gentile, were in sin and rebellion against the ruler of the universe. And the ruler of the universe was going to pour out his wrath against sin. And we were covered in it. That is hostility. But Paul states that this hostility, both kinds, was dealt with once and for all by Christ's death on the cross. In place of the hostility, Christ has brought peace. Peace between Jew and Gentile and peace between God and man. But what did he do to create this peace? Well, Paul says that Jesus abolished the law. But the law does not go away. In fact, not one jot or tittle will go away until all is fulfilled, according to Jesus himself. And there are still some things God is fulfilling, such as our sanctification and his eventual return and the establishment of a new heaven and new earth. But the law was the basis of the hostility between men, between Jew and Gentile. It separated them. And the law was the basis of the hostility between man who did not and could not follow it and God who would. The law and all that was involved in being circumcised as opposed to being the uncircumcised was the thing that separated Jew from Gentile. The law meant the temple, which excluded Gentiles. The law meant the feasts and that celebrated Jewish history, the law meant the traditions which made the Jews very different from everyone else and required that they be separated from everyone else. And the law was also the source of hostility between God and man. It accused us before God, the judge, both Jew and Gentile, and it proved our guilt before God. And the law demanded our accountability. And the law informed us of our just punishment. But in Christ, by his blood and self-giving substitutionary death, God dealt a fatal blow to all of that hostility, to both kinds. The law, the perfect law, the good law, the law that reveals God to us and his character, the law that guides us, the law, it's not gone, it's not eliminated, But what was killed was the law's impact on both of those areas of hostility. By Christ's blood, the demands of the law were rendered void. The demands and burdens of being under the authority of the law, which Jews were, and which caused the separation between Jew and Gentile, such that they were very different and separate and hostile to each other, that that was abolished. The demands of the law were abolished. The demands that we obey the law perfectly or we would never be declared righteous were abolished and done away with because we have died in Christ and we are freed from the constraints of the law that held us captive. And the demand that a penalty be paid for our violation of the law is abolished, is gone forever since we have received complete and eternal and perfect forgiveness because of Christ's blood. With the abolishing of the demands of the law, our entire situation 
has changed, both Jew and Gentile. And we are saved in the same way because of Jesus and his cross, both Jew and Gentile. By abolishing the law, it removed the hostility between God and man through forgiveness, as well as the separation between Jew and Gentile by rendering the temple, etc., unnecessary. And Jesus has truly brought us near so we can finally have peace. So God has changed our position as Gentiles who were outside of God's covenant such that we are now brought near to God and the promises and the covenant and hope. And God has changed our situation in that he's abolished the law and the demands of the law such that hostility no longer has sway between Jew and Gentile and between God and man. The final thing Paul addresses in our text is that because of all of the above, we are now and should be experiencing a new reality. We are his church. But old habits die hard. For instance, the the division between God and man still existed within the church for those who still wanted to become righteous by works of the law, by earning their own righteousness. Paul addressed that hostility and that situation directly in his letter to the Galatians. But the division that Paul is really addressing in this letter to the Ephesians is the division that lingered between Jew and Gentile. There had been only two groups to this point. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. Even in the eyes of the Roman government, at least initially, the Christians were thought of just as another sect of the Jews. But that didn't last once Christians truly emerged as a third group. And it's interesting, Paul even addresses this threefold classification of mankind in 1 Corinthians 10.32 when he refers to the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. Those are the three categories now. And while the third group was our our new reality that, that we are the church of God, Divisions within this group between Jews and Gentiles didn't just vaporize in the minds of these new believers. There were Jews who looked down on Gentiles as second-class citizens. You know, they're, they're different than us. An example of this is recorded uh, by Paul in Galatians chapter 2 when he recounts rebuking Peter of all people, particularly since of the Cornelius situation, Uh, when he rebuked Peter for perpetuating this division between Jews and Gentiles. This eventually led Paul in that same book to absolutely and wonderfully state that in Christ there are neither Jews nor Gentiles, slaves nor free, male or female, Galatians 3.28. On the other side of the coin, there were Gentile Christians who even got a little haughty in that they understood that they were the ones that God had chosen to graft into Christ after the Jews had been cut off after they had rejected Jesus. Some seemed to even boast that they were the end of God's plan all along. 
So we really don't need those Jews. This is what Paul rebuked in Romans 11:18 when he basically scolded the Gentile Christians and told them, do not be arrogant toward the branches, the Jews, and reminded them that they too could be cut off. For Paul, such divisions within the church were not consistent with whom God had made them to be in Christ Jesus, which was one body with one head. <clears throat> After Christ abolished the law, all this separation was done away with, and there simply was no room for this kind of behavior in the church. In Christ, there is no distinction. We are all the same. Sinners, lost, eternally damned, except for the saving work of Christ, saved entirely by grace through the same faith in Jesus, in the same Savior. But it's more than that. We are now one with each other. We are part of the same body. Each of us believers in Jesus are connected to the other in the one spirit, in the one body, with the one purpose, with the one head, with the one goal. This does not downplay the reality that there are also individuals, loved individual children of God. We are individuals. But more than that, we are members of an even bigger reality than ourselves. We are now part of the body of Christ, the Lord of the universe, God manifest to the world. We are his body. This is a big deal. We are not merely a group of adherents to our religion. Too often we behave that way. We are actually, because of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit breaking down all of that hostility between us and between God and between each other, we are now one unified entity with a unified goal and a unified head. We are one with each other. <clears throat> now, I don't want to sound all woo-woo, but this will make sense to you who know Jesus. Being a Christian connects us with other Christians in a way that being part of the Kiwanis or the same state or a political party or even the same family does not. <clears throat> when you meet someone who is a follower of Jesus, you know it. I was dropping off my dad's shirts at the cleaners in Tempe, Arizona the other day, when I walked in, uh, the person at the counter was, was very different from me. First of all, she was a she. She was black. She was young. I think she had tattoos. She definitely had an accent. And she turned out to be from Senegal. But I knew instantly that she was my sister in Christ, which she was. I and you in Christ are one with her in a way I can never be with my non-believing blood relatives. And I, I knew I was connected to her, not because of something she did or said. In fact, I, I'm not even sure she had said anything yet. I, I was, it was because she was part of Christ's body, and so am I. Have you had similar experiences? I've had many of those. 
We are connected in Christ to each other. It is, it is Christ in us. It isn't a secret handshake that binds us. It is actually God himself, the Holy Spirit, who according to the last verse of our text, dwells in us while we are being built into a dwelling place for God, the new holy temple. We are also one with him, with God. When I see a really sad situation with a broken soul who is denying who God made them and who is in active rebellion against God, my heart actually breaks for them. Not because I'm a good guy, not because I have some special empathy, not because of anything in me. It is Christ in me causing me to care about that person whom my head, Jesus, loves and died for. Why else would I care? The world does not get this. They hate those who are different. Those LBGTQXYZ914 activists actually hate me. You can see it in their eyes, hear it in their voices, see it in their writings. I don't hate them. I do hate the sin and the damage they're perpetuating. But Christ, who is my head, who is our head, who made us one with him, died for them and loves them. He tells us that they are my neighbor. In their eyes, we're their enemy. In our eyes, they are the lost Christ loves and came to save. That is Christ in us. It's not us. Another example, our our missions committee is trying to figure out where to spend money on effective missions. We are not doing it because we like to spend money or because we just want to be charitable. We want people to know Jesus. This this shared desire that that we have does not make sense, except that it is Christ in us that has created that desire. Why should we even care about those people? It is God in us who has made us one with him, his body that is causing us to be this way. Why else would we do it? It's because he has made us one with him. Now, all of what I have said might seem kind of basic. And it is. But but the fact is that we need to think about these things. But as we do, there's also this question. So, so what does this mean to us today? <clears throat> well, knowing our position, that our position and access to God has changed, and that we are no longer far off as we Gentiles were, that we are no longer without hope and without God, but we have been brought near to God through Jesus, which was our point one, should impact our thinking and our perspective on a whole bunch of things. Thinking about it should make us thankful 
and appreciative. It should also make us humble and charitable towards others. We were once those lost souls, alienated from God and without hope, and we have been brought near purely out of love. We have no excuse to think that we are special, except for what Jesus has done to bring us near to himself. If we think about point one, it should make us want to reach others through Christ, those he loves who are still far off. In Christ, they too can be brought near. Concerning point two, that the hostility between God and man and between Jews and Gentiles, between people, has been dealt with by God, Thinking on this should cause us to be keenly aware of any hostility that may surface in our lives with other people, particularly within the church, with whom we should not have hostility with ourselves or with God who has made us his child. If hostility is there, then then question yourself. Why? Have you resurrected the law with its demands that leads to division and death? If so, let it go. Embrace the reality that God has given us peace where there used to be hostility. And the third point, our new reality. We need to be mindful that we really are not our own anymore. We, need, we, are, we are part of each other and one with God. We are Christ's body, his church, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And and here's where the rubber meets the road. We should act like it. Not out of guilt or obligation, because the truth is that that's just simply who we are. And if you don't feel like it, so what? I, I might not feel like a son or a father or a brother, but I still am. It's who I am, and I need to act like it. And we are the church, God's agent in this very lost and broken world. It is who we are. It is who he has made us to be by bringing us near, by breaking down the hostilities, So we should live accordingly. And and we who are his body, his church, his present in the world full of zombies, desperately in need of a savior, need to be who we are. For God's glory. Amen. Father, thank you for what you have done in Jesus. We who were dead and lost, Without hope, you have given us life. You've brought us near. You've broken down hostilities. You've made us one with each other and with you. May we so be. In the name of Jesus, amen.